It is likely that in the boyhood home of Jesus, he was acquainted with patches on garments. How often he'd seen his mother patch an old garment. How often he had to wear one. But as in every poor home, there comes a time when you cannot patch the old garment any longer without destroying the whole garment. There comes a time when it's necessary to get something new. I suppose that the oldest and strongest controversy in the history of the human race might be the struggle between the old and the new, the conflict between the past and the future. Now, it is right that we give honor and credit to the old and to the past, for there's really nothing wrong with something, something simply because it is old. As a matter of fact, there are some things that have such eternal significance that it would be a tragic mistake for us to just cast them aside in our frantic search for the new and the novel. But it is always a mistake to hold on to the old when it is outdated and useless. There are some times when you just can't patch up the old any longer. And we can be completely out of date and outdated in a modern society if we're afraid of the new. And I know some churches that literally have died because they have resented change simply in the name of we have never done it that way before. And G. Campbell Morgan was right when he said, there comes a time in every life and in the life of the church where we must accept the adventure of the new or we must withdraw to the backwaters where it is not God that is worshipped but the past. The oddest thing in the world this morning is a Christian who is afraid of change when he himself is the product of change. The oddest thing in the world this morning is a Christian who is afraid of the new when he has recently been made new. An old coat with a patch is not a good symbol of the Christian faith. A Christian may occasionally have to wear one, but he was never meant to be one. The purpose of this text, the idea of this text is that there is something fundamentally new in Christianity that will not mix with the old. Now the Jews would have believed Jesus and they would have followed him to some extent if Christianity had just been a form of Judaism, kind of a reworked Judaism, but Christianity was too new for that. And Jesus made that clear when he performed his first miracle in Cana of Galilee, and they came to him and said, the, water, the wine has run out and we have none. 
And Jesus said, get the water pot and fill them up to the brim. For what Jesus had come to do and to bring was not a mixture of his with anybody else's. It was brand new. I think some of us this morning would like to have Christ, but we'd like to have him in the old wineskins. I know that's true, for there's some of us who would like to hold on to as much of the old life as we can and still be a Christian. There are some of us who would like to do as little as we can for Christ and the church and still be a Christian. It is not possible, for Christianity is fundamentally new and it will not mix with the old. Rent clothes and ruptured wine skins reminds me of the frustration and the tragedy and the inability to hold on to the old patterns and manners of life and try to serve God at the same time. For the fundamental word of the Christian faith is this, new. For example, Christianity means a new life. When the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, why do, the, why do we fast and your disciples do not fast? It seems to indicate the fact that they thought Jesus was just another reformer, that he was just a patcher of the old, that he had come to patch up what they already knew in ceremony and life. Now, it is a fact this morning, it is true that in each one of us, we have an awareness of the need of change. Now, when we're honest, we admit that things are not really in our lives what they ought to be. The biblical word, nevertheless, there is no difference for all have sinned has been a reality in each one of us. Nicodemus was a man of impeccable character and yet he knew there was something radically wrong with his life. For sin is a reality in each of us. We may have been born in a Christian home, raised in a church, we may acknowledge the Ten Commandments, we may hold fast to the golden rule, but we're sinners nonetheless. And in our more serious moments, we acknowledge that sinfulness and we long for something new. Every prostitute longs to be pure. Every alcoholic longs to be sober. Every unconverted church member longs for the new birth, something new, like the morning with its vigor and hopefulness. New like the spring when the death of winter is laid aside and life begins again. And so Jesus stood to say, I have come that you might live and that you might live abundantly. And the Apostle Paul caught the idea when he said, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. At the seminary, 
we have what's called, the teachers have graders. They're called graders. Usually they're doctrinal students, doctoral students, and they grade the papers and they give tests and sometimes they substitute for the teacher. Now these graders are not like the peons. They're not like us. They're just one step above us, you see, between the student and the professor, and they got to carry that kind of air about them. And so sometime when they come in to lead in prayer, it's a strange prayer. Can't pray like us because they're not one of us, you see. And one day, one of the graders led in prayer in a class I was in, and this was his prayer. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Oh God, gather up the broken fragments of our broken lives and mend us together. Amen. That was a good prayer for a greater, but it just not, is not theologically sound. For what God does is not gather up the broken fragments of a broken life and put a little cosmic uh, glue on them and bind them together again. He brings new life. And I think some of us make a tremendous mistake because we wanted Jesus like a patch. We wanted him like wine in the old wineskins. We wanted him to patch up our lives and mend us. He's the bringer of the new. And sometimes that's the reason why we miss him altogether. And that explains the tragedy of some of our failures or explains our failures. Over here is a man who has a habit and he wants to overcome it and so he tries with every ounce of willpower he can to overcome it. And over here is a man who says, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to reform. But Jesus says, I come to make things new. It's new life that I'm pleading about. Like Gertrude Bahana found one day, that sophisticated, wealthy woman with three marriages that were failures, and listened to her testimony when she said, I was the shell of a woman, frustrated, hopeless, defeated, at the end of my rope. When I got down on my knees, I was the shell of a woman. When I got up, I don't know what happened, but I was a new species of his creation. Christianity means a new life. And secondly, Christianity means a new expression. Now, when they said to Jesus, why don't your disciples fast as we do? Jesus said, that in essence, that's fine if it comes from the heart. If you're sad, fast. If you're glad, feast. But let it be an expression of the heart. For there is no virtue or, san or sanctity in the expression of a ceremony that does not correspond with an attitude of the heart. Can I say that again? 
because some of you were nodding just a little and might have missed it. There is no sanctity or virtue in the expression or in the ceremony, the keeping of a ceremony that is not the result of the inner joy or is not the expression of the heart. And then Jesus said it flatly that the worship of the Lord is not a matter of observing some outward ceremony. It is a matter of fellowshipping with the living God. So we must discover the difference between the external form and the inner force because there is something fundamentally incompatible between Christianity and the old forms. Now I must ask you this question. How are you expressing your Christianity? Are you doing it by observing a list of don'ts? Some people do that. They have this list of the things they don't do. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't smoke or go with the girls what do. And they have this list of don'ts. And they say, look at all of these things that I don't do. I must be a super Christian. Hear me now. Christianity is not the expression of keeping a list of don'ts. Christianity is a positive commitment to Jesus so that I've heard people say and had people ask me, if I become a Christian, will I have to give up all of these things? And they start listing some of those that are on your hit lists, mine. They say, will I have to give up all of these things? And I say, no. And they kind of look at me in shock and they say, you mean I don't have to give up these things to become a Christian? And my response is, friend, you could sell your car, give away your suit, go out in the woods in a burlap sack for, a clo for clothes and eat roots and wild hickory nuts for the rest of your life and not be a Christian. For being a Christian is not following a list of the things we don't do. It is the response, a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And the best illustration I have of it is this. My wife and I married when we got out of high school. She couldn't wait to get married. And uh, so we... We married right out of high school, and in our senior year, we had our first child. Cindy came along. Now, for three years, we had it just about like we wanted to, except we worked hard and went to school. But if we were studying late at night and we wanted to go down to the all-night coffee shop and get some coffee, we'd do that. If we wanted to go to a football game in the in rain and weather, cold weather, we just did that. We didn't have anybody to consider but ourselves. And then one day there came into our relationship a new creature, a new person. 
From then on, everything had to be decided on the basis of that new being in our life. Now, we didn't re resent her intrusion. We were glad she came to be a part of our relationship. As a matter of fact, we wondered how we lived those three years without her. But my point is that all of life now had to be altered around her presence that's why Jesus said, come and follow me. That's why he said, unless a man hates his father, a mother, sister, or brother, he cannot be my disciple. He was saying, in essence, if you're going to be my follower, you've got to put me at the center and life revolves around me. And when that happens, even worship is different. For you see, worship is not just observing special days. Every day is a worship when you positively commit yourself to Christ. Amen? Sabbath breakers are here this morning going through the farms. Worship is not just coming inside a, a building like this only. Worship is every day dedicated to Him. And so Mrs. Billy Graham has over her sink a sign that says, Worship services conducted three times a day here. For a man who has made a personal positive commitment to Jesus Christ does everything as unto the Lord. Christianity is a new expression. It's a new life, it's a new expression, it is new joy. Now when they said, why don't the disciples fast? Jesus' response is in essence this way. Because fasting, listen carefully, fasting is really not typical of the Christian faith. That doesn't mean that we're not to fast. Don't misunderstand what I've just said. For how can you go around fasting when the bridegroom is present? Now in that ancient eastern world, a wedding took place, a wedding lasted for a week. There were seven days of ceaseless, unbounded rejoicing, music, songs, and mirth. And into the lives of these poor people, for seven days there came fasting and, and celebration and rejoicing and joy and fullness and plenty that might only come once in a lifetime. And so Jesus was saying, in essence, what I have come to bring is new wine, what I've come to bring is best characterized by celebration. Let the joy begin. Let the celebration start. I've come to bring joy. For to be with Christ, just like the young man said, is to have a smile. To walk with Jesus is to walk in radiance of joy. He came and put a smile on men's faces. Most people took their faith like a funeral with fasts and frowns. Jesus took his faith like a wedding feast with festivity and joy. Now one of Satan's most subtle lies is 
that if you become a Christian, all the fun goes out of life. And he brings, Satan brings some old sour puss, quote Christian out, and parades him out and proves it, you know. That if you become a Christian, all the joy leaves out of, goes out of life. That you don't have fun any longer. Now I know, listen to me, I know that it's hard to be a Christian. Young people, it is becoming more difficult perhaps to be a Christian. But hear me, it's the way of the transgressor that is hard. The child of God knows ceaseless and abounding joy. And so the scripture says that that early church went singing up and down the earth. And Tertullian was called the hilarious saint. And one biographer of the church said that the church is the only institution alive that rejoices all the time. For at the heart of the Christian faith is ceaseless and abounding joy. Why? because the bridegroom is with us. He went away on Friday and he came back on Sunday and he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. And the royal robe of joy replaced the sackcloth of sorrow. And the shout of triumph replaced the dirge of tears. Joy ceaseless and abounding joy. Why do we not fast? Because the bridegroom is here. Let the trumpet sound. Let the music begin. Let the dancing. Now maybe I better back up there. I'm getting... Let the, let the celebration start for the Lord brings joy. And a sad, somber Christian is a contradiction in terms. When we come into this congregation on Sunday morning, we ought to come praising God in ceaseless joy. Somewhere I read a novel about the Dust Bowl days in Oklahoma. They made a movie out of it. You may have lived some of the, through some of those days. When the whole state just perished in drought, especially over in the southwest part of Oklahoma, back over there in that rough part of the state. Back there, no rain, no crops, no water, no life, drought. And in this novel, in, these, in this book, showed pictures of dust bowl days in Oklahoma and dust piled up halfway up the fence line and in this novel one little family suffering under the persecution of drought and one day a cloud came into the sky and it began to cloud up and rain finally came it came down softly for a little while then it began to come down in torrents and the family went outside and they celebrated first rain they'd had in months, even years. And they caught the rain in their mouths and they bathed in it. And the man in the novel walked around in the dirt of the dry, parched earth and got the mud on his feet. And he went parading through the house, you know, 
and he got mud all over the house and his wife didn't care. And they got out in the rain and in the mud and they danced in it and they sang in it and they soaked in it and they rejoiced. And there was a day when there was in my spirit the barren waste, the barrenness of death. And I guess I was about 18 when it happened in a little service, in a little church like this. And the gentle rain of the Holy Spirit came down upon the parched spirit of a young man. And he began to bathe my spirit in the living water. And I wanted to sing in it. And I wanted to shout in it. And I wanted to dance in it for what God had come to bring to the drought, to the barrenness of my spirit was life. For Christianity brings new joy. I speak to some this morning who have never received Christ as personal Savior. He's come to bring new life. I speak to some this morning whose whole expression of Christianity is out of step and out of character. Jesus wants to be the center of your life. He wants to be first. He must be Lord. And the demand of his life is not that you do not do this or do not do that. The demand of his life is that you place him in the center and life moves about him in positive commitment. And there's some of us here this morning who just need gentle rain on the parched, barren, dry life. I've come that you might have life abundant. We're going to have an invitation hymn and the choir shall sing. Maybe you'd like to join us. We're going to invite you to come. I met just briefly this morning with some international students. The hunger on their, the desire on their faith, face to serve God and to be a part of the fellowship was a thrill. They're coming today. And there needs to be some of us to follow them their example. Come receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior this morning, young man, young woman, adult. Come trusting Him. There's no better day than today. He has new wine. And you may need to come and transfer your membership. You may need to come for rededication, for a new and fresh walk. After we've prayed, we'll invite your response. Father, Our prayer is that you shall have your own way in our lives. That you have already spoken to us in the first part of this service and shall speak now in the last. And that having spoken, we shall be obedient and responsive. And I pray that whatever you want for us in this invitation, you would get 
This is my prayer in our Savior's name, even Jesus, and for his sake. Now, in the spirit of prayer, we invite you to stand, and we'll ask you to come.